Welcome everyone to the Bread of Life, a radio ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the Executive Director of Church Partnership Evangelism. It's our joy to bring these teachings to you from the Word of God. If you wish to learn more about our ministries abroad, go to traincpe.org. And to learn about our church fellowship in Boise, Idaho, go to breadoflifeboise.org. It's an honor to have you listening and joining me around the Bread of Life. Our lesson today is taken from the recent Resurrection Sunday. The cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ should ever loom over the teaching of the church. We are left with ethical messages, efforts at social engineering, political speech, or motivational exhortations, or even just innocuous forms of entertainment without the death and resurrection of our Lord informing all we say and teach in the church. Luke 24, 36 through 43. And as they thus spoke, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled, and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it's I myself. Handle me, and see, for the Spirit hath not flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed to them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy, and wondered, he said unto them, Have you here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb, and he took it, and did eat it before them. Now, I, the reason I'm kind of reminded of this passage is this morning my son sent a little text to us telling that he got up to do a devotion with his three older boys. And the youngest of those boys, Gus, is about three and a half years old or four years old. And he's taking him through a little devotional on where to look for Jesus. Why would you look for Jesus in a cemetery? That was the name of his little devotional. You don't look for someone who's alive in a cemetery. And he tells a story of how they went to the tomb to find Jesus, but he wasn't there. Now he says, now that would be really silly. That would be like if you were lost and I was looking for one of you. I wouldn't go looking for you in a cemetery, would I? And little Gus spoke up and he said, no, you, if you wanted to find me, you'd find me at Carl's Jr. <laughs> He'd be somewhere getting something to eat. And that's where the Lord Jesus was. He shows up. And they think they're seeing a spirit. And he says, do you have anything to eat? And then he sits down. He eats in front of them. And they're all watching him devour a piece of fish and some honeycomb. He's alive. We have our various creeds. And in our creeds, as we read them, and some of them are in your hymn books, you'll see a declaration and a statement of the essential facts of the Christian faith. And that's what we're celebrating this morning, are the facts of the Christian faith. That Jesus of Nazareth was crucified under Pontius Pilate, having been delivered to him by the chief priest and the elders or the 70 Sanhedrin leaders of Jerusalem, and that after having been crucified, he was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And then on the Sunday following that burial, a Sunday just like today, he rose again from the grave. He appeared to his disciples, and for over 40 days, he continued to appear to his disciples. He appeared to women, and he appeared to men, and he ate with them, and he stood before them, and he sat with them, and he provided meals for them, and he touched them, and they touched him, and he instructed them, and he walked along the way with them, teaching them and instructing them. They saw him indoors, and they saw him outdoors. 
He appeared to them in the inner place where the door was closed. He appeared to them when they came to a mountain that he had sent them to meet him at. He gathered with them individually. So he went to meet his brother James individually. And he gathered with him in smaller group as two. And he met with him in his larger group as 500. And over 40 days instructed them and took all the things that he had been teaching them and instructing them. And he gathered it all together and put it within the context of this wonderful victory that he had rendered when he had risen from the dead, having died on the cross, he brought it all before them, he explained it before them. As out of this wonderful fact, he laid out before them the wonderful truth, the wonderful facts that we profess in the faith that we hold to. Now for us, the belief that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead is not like believing in the power of prayer. It's not like someone who believes in guardian angels. These are not issues of our faith. Believing that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead is not an issue of our faith. It is a fact from which the Christian faith issues or goes forward. We believe in this, and then having believed in this, he has a right to instruct us in all of his truth, and all of his teaching, and we receive it. Upon the bedrock of this wonderful fact, we can speak of a number of ways in which we can know this is true. And I'm so thankful that God himself imparts the reality or experience of this resurrection to our lives even today. We've sang a song. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. It's wonderful that a truth that took place, a fact that happened 2,000 years ago, is reconfirmed by a movement of the Spirit upon our hearts. But that in itself would not be convincing if it weren't for those initial facts that were established way back then in that moment. I'm so glad that God, by His Spirit, is so generous in confirming the reality of the risen, living Christ by bringing His presence into us, confirming in our spirits that He is with us and He abides with us and in us and leads us and guides us, speaks to us, and there is a growing intimacy that we realize. It makes me think of an illustration right now. A number of years ago, at the same time, just on the last day of winter and the first day of spring, that my sister Priscilla was killed in a car accident. This morning I was over my office and I was wanting to listen to some music while I was doing a little preparation. And I was trying to find the different songs I might leave open up to listen to and there was a folder in front of me I hadn't seen for a long time. And I started playing it and it was the voice of my sister singing in a little concert she had given. And I was listening to her voice. Well, I, I remember after she died how devastating that was. Because no matter how hard I tried to hold on to her presence, tried to hold on to the memory of her, tried to hold on to a sense of her fellowship and, her, and communion that I'd had with her and enjoyed with her, it was leaving me and it was leaving me rapidly. I couldn't remember the feeling of her hand in my hand. I couldn't remember her wonderful scent. She had musty hair like my dad. And I was trying to get that, that scent back. I was trying to feel it and I began to grieve. I mean, I just began to grieve. My parents were gone at the time. I just began to weep. And then this... This thought became waving over me at that time. My sister was parting from me. She was no longer in this plane, in this atmosphere, in this world. She'd gone to another place and another dimension in the presence of God. But at the same time, what dawned on me was over the course of that very year, I had begun a walk with the Lord Jesus that was becoming increasingly intimate. A sense of His presence, a sense of His voice guiding me, a sense of his love enrapturing me, 
a hold on my life that I'd never sensed before. And it was growing and growing and growing and becoming more and more intense and more and more sweet. And, and the Lord Jesus says, you know why, Joel? It's because she's gone. She's died. She's gone to be with me. But I've risen and I'm alive and I'm here with you. And so I can sing the song. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. And the very thing that I needed to give me some sense of confidence and assurance that one day I would see her. We'd be together and never part again because we'd meet before the throne of Jesus Christ was this wonderful truth, this wonderful truth that she had passed away and I was losing contact with her. She was becoming less real and less evident to me than Christ. Christ was becoming more real and more evident and more plain and more intimate than ever before. What a comfort. What an encouragement. Having said all that, the initial encouragement that God brought to his disciples was the reality of his coming and rising from the dead and them witnessing it. That experience brought them to a conclusive faith. And what I want to do this morning very quickly is I just want us to consider the faith of the disciples. And the first point I want to make to you is this. If you study the life of the disciples, you'll see that as they walk with the Lord Jesus before his death and resurrection, that they had an inconclusive faith. They had an expectation. They were increasingly excited about what they were expecting. They had made, in a sense, a bet. They had made an investment thinking that this one was the Messiah, and they began to follow him. They'd left their wives and their children to follow and learn from him, and they'd left their occupations and their careers in this hope that this one was the Messiah, that he was the Savior. And at the same time, although this is where they were leaning, there was something inconclusive about their faith. You'll see that they were increasingly leading that way. At times they were discouraged because they saw opportunities that the Lord Jesus had to seize hold of the moment. I mean, there was a moment when all the people had gathered around him, this massive crowd, and he fed them all with a few small loaves and fishes that he broke and ministered to all of them and served to all of them. They were the ones who distributed it. They kept seeing the food multiply and the people being fed. And at that moment, it says the people all wanted to make the Lord Jesus a king. This is the moment in which he can ascend to his position as the Messiah, the one who will throw off the yoke of foreign powers and their bondage over Israel. He will establish himself and reign on David's throne. We'll reign with him. And they were perplexed when the Lord Jesus didn't seize those moments. He continued to go about and teach the rules and the ideas of his kingdom, but he, he wasn't taking and seizing the opportunities they thought he had to take that position. But still, they were on a journey to become more and more convinced that this was the Christ. And they said at times, you are the Christ, or their belief that he was in the Christ. In fact, the very first time they had met him, it was Philip that went to his friend Nathaniel. And Philip said, we found the Messiah. They'd only heard him for a short while. They'd only seen, they hadn't even seen anything from him at this time. They just heard some wonderful teaching, and they heard the testimony of John the Baptist directing them towards the Lord Jesus. This has got to be it. Let's follow him. Let's learn from him. And they did story of Peter. You might remember an account. I think it's in Matthew chapter 16. The disciples are walking along with the Lord Jesus, and the Lord Jesus says to Peter, who do people say that I am? I said, well, some think that you're Elijah, and some think that you're Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, or John the Baptist. You're a reemergence of these individuals in this day, in this hour. Then the Lord Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter immediately said, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. The son of the living God. I think when Peter said that, he slapped his hand across his mouth. He couldn't believe the words came out, but that's what it came out. And, and the Lord Jesus said to him, Peter, 
Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You didn't come about to this conclusion by your own powers of reasoning, your own deductive thoughts. But my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. Peter, you're just stating what God has put in your heart to state. This is God's revelation. This is God's understanding, and he's declaring it through your lips. But at the same time, even though we see these moments, we also see that there was some self-doubt within them about who Jesus was and, and how they would live. As they were making their way up to Jerusalem on that last week before Christ went to the cross and died, we we're even told that they were debating among one another which one of them would be the chief or the lead or the head and sit at his right hand and his left hand in the kingdom of heaven. Which one would be the significant leader and the top dog, you might say, in the kingdom of heaven, ruling under the Lord Jesus Christ. And you remember the Lord Jesus corrected them and told them that if they would lead, they had to be servant of all. But that was their debate. That was their discussion. Kind of odd, because this was at a time when the Lord Jesus was actually verbally teaching them that he was going to Jerusalem and that he was going to be beaten and that he was going to be crucified and that he was going to rise. And it went right over their heads. And they continued with this idea, this thought. But having said all that, I think still it's safe to say that although they were leaning more and more to be more and more convinced that Jesus Christ was indeed the Messiah and they had committed themselves to that idea and that concept and they had laid down the wager, you might say, of their lives that this would be the case, at the same time there was something within them that made them think it was possible that they could change their minds. It was possible that if Christ did not, in a sense, answer their expectations that they could find themselves coming at him from a totally different position. You can join us in the next broadcast, and I'll explain this conclusion that the disciples were not as convinced of who Jesus was as they made out, that in the back of their minds there were unsettled questions, questions that were finally answered in his resurrection. If you wish to learn more about the ministry of the Bread of Life, go to one of two websites, traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until our next time together around the Word, may God bless you.